guys, welcome to Archive TV. I'm Shane. I'm Fletch. And we are back for another stream review. This time we are checking out something that I've only ever smoked once before in my life. It's about a month ago when we first tried to shoot this video and I fucked up the audio, so. Round two. What are we looking at today, Fletch? It's um, a old school Hawaiian cross. We've been calling it Hawaiian lemons at the shop. Um, they, I, I love it, it makes great hash. One of my buddies says it smells like 80s Northern Lights to him. And he's been growing since the 80s and bought seeds out of the back of High Times, Super Steven Seed Club and uh, the Seed Bank seeds and all that stuff. And he says, you know, this is the closest thing he's smelled in four years. And I'm inclined to believe him because he's the only person I know that's been literally growing nonstop since the er, mid 80s, basically, early mid 80s. And it's just like, you know, he's been growing indoor that whole time never stopped and and he's pretty familiar with everything and i send him all my cuts and he always runs everything and he you know he knows he what's up it, huh? he says this is as close to northern lights as he remembers and so what it is is it's um a strain that i collected in hana hawaii and on maui in 2004 at a from the, this guy, Pat, who was in Ana, he was a mutual friend of mine and my other buddy that I'm, I was talking about. And um, it was just some jungle weed, you know, just some outdoor that, you know, local strain that had been growing there for a long time. I, I collected some of the seeds from that or got some seeds of it from him. And I think we grew like 20 of them and I just picked the best plant from them for indoor and resin content and everything. Then I crossed that plant uh, with Skittles Mm -hmm. Made a selection from that, and then crossed that with the Planet Purple one forty-four mil, and that's uh, that's what this is. And we call it Hawaiian lemons. It's it's like a cheesy lemony. It's gonna say cheesy for yeah. sure. It's it's really unique. It d definitely doesn't smell like anything else in the market. And it's one of those things where as soon as you crack the jar, everywhere around you smells like it. Yeah, you know, it has a little bit of like the dog shit smell in there that spiciness, but there's no haziness to this herb. It doesn't smell like Jack. It doesn't smell like anything it, it, like that. It just has that, that land racy, you know, what they were calling lemon or Hawaiian rain or, or Hana rain, or just like that kind of jungly sativa -y, equatorial kind of smell that if you've grown lots of land race and land race hybrids, you kind of become familiar with this background smell that they all kind of somewhat share just like cushions kind of all share this background yeah. but then there's variations of it for the fact that there's skittles in here i'm not getting any type of skittles notes whatsoever no, it, no. like you said it's a very unique flavor profile that's kind of onto its own you know mm -hmm. yeah i mean it has hints of sweetness it has this old school smell it has this like deep cheesy dank smell to it um it's it's just unique and you know all all my friends that have been growing for a long time they all kind of have the same thing to say about it in terms of dude this shit's awesome it's just old school it's just like you know i don't care what's in it really it's just so old school like you know no one can really get over how stuff like this has been lost it's completely. really cheesy to me but not like a uk cheese or a big not at cheese. all it's almost like a like a shredded parmesan or something like that you know it's because it has it's so strong smelling too it's it thick. like it wafts over the yeah. across the room at you you said it does well for extraction you mean it makes nice hash or does it, it makes really nice hash too? yeah awesome hash um <laughs> it kind of reminds me of like you know when you see the pepe le pew skunk 
uh, um, cartoons and the smell wafts through the air and it hits your nose. Green smoke. Yeah, it's it's one of those where you can just see, you can just, someone opens it and then you smell it and you can like literally feel it wafting. Well, it's a weird smell too. So even in a room where everybody's got, you know, a bunch of jars open, there's going to be a lot of gas terps going through the air, but this one's going to stick distinct. out. It's different, yeah. yeah. I'm getting basically the exact same uh, flavor as I'm getting on the smell. And totally. It's like super smooth. It's that kind of weed that you can just rip and rip and rip and rip and it just doesn't even give you a little tickle. Exactly. And it's got a pretty heady high in terms of, you know, a sativa kind of mix. It's definitely not uh, Bubba Kush or Purple Indica type of stone. And it's one of those where you break it up over the table and you just see the keef raining down on the table. Yeah. It's like sticky and um, dry resin at the same time. It's, you know, it's a little bit on the drier side, but it's still pretty sticky, a piece of it. So. Um, this is that kind of weed that I always say like just looks fuzzy. You yeah. Know what I mean, because big trichome heads on this. Yeah, this will, this produces, together. this will produce full melt out of the 160 bag. Just like the other, uh, the the um, HP 13 crossed with Maui Skunk Dog that I have, that other hash that we smoked, that was the 160 micron that was full melt. It'll melt like that? Yeah, same deal. These are two, like, for whatever reason, I don't know if it has anything to do with being bred in Hawaii. And in my experience, a lot of people select for the stickiest bud they can grow out there for many years. Um, you know, potency is a real big deal to a lot of Hawaiian growers. I feel like the uh, Molokai Frost was always like that too. Monster heads. I mean, like it was the Hawaiian, especially a lot of old Hawaiian sativa and Hawaiian stiva crosses. They're the type of weed where if you put it in a plastic bag um, and then like throw it in your backpack or box or, or your um, pocket, it'll. Um, like leave a sheen on the inside of the plastic Almost bag. Almost like sweats a little bit. It doesn't sweat. It literally like coats the bag. And when you feel the plastic bag now, it feels like it has like a coating on the inside. Like oily. It's not oily. It's like sticky. Imagine like I sprayed pla an extra layer of plastic on the inside of the bag. So it feels like crunchy almost. Oh, that's a trip. Yeah, it's, it leaves a lot of resin. I mean, it's almost, it almost looks like the weed melted the bag because it just leaves so much like resin that was stuck, like the weed gets pushed against the bag. And then when it comes apart, half the, the resin is left on the itself. bag. Yeah, and the bag will stick to itself and everything, exactly. Yeah, yeah this is- This is the kind of weed that'll do that too. This is unique. Like I would definitely be interested to try some, some nice full milk from this now. Yeah, oh yeah. And the rosin is like, it's so soupy, it's kind of funny. It's like, it's, it's the kind of, the, for me, it's the perfect balance between high potency and like washable resin, but so high in terpenes that if you, if you press it, it's just like soup. You think that has to do with the, the characteristics of the resin itself, plus just the high amount of terpenes? It was, the resin is THC and terpenes inside the trichome head. And that's pretty much all you're extracting with washing is just the trichome head. So whatever the consistency essentially of the hash is at the end of that is essentially a trichome, whatever the consistency uh, inside the trichome head a reflection was. reflection of that ratio. Exactly, 100%. It may not be exactly the same as like the whole plant because you're isolating each individual trichome head size. So the, it may be 
a 70-30 ratio and a 160 micron and a 50-50 ratio in a in a 73 micron. I don't know that. I'm just pointing out that the ratios could be could be you could have a higher or lower concentration of THC to terpenes depending on the size of the trichome head. And that and we know that's a fact because that's why like 73 to 160 micron heads or 220 even depending on the strain are the high quality resin heads. Everything below 73 is like overly mature and it's just lower in THC in general. So it has degraded. And that's why most people don't like to smoke 25 micron bubble. Cause you can get some nice like kind of melty 25 micron, especially from dry trim, but it's just not as enjoyable to smoke as nice ripe 90 micron heads. Yeah. There's just too much else in there that taints the flavor. You know what I mean? Yeah, or it's degraded. Some of the, some of whatever those compounds have degraded or off-gassed, and now it's a different ratio than what it was when it was at its peak. Yeah. Which was when it was high THC and other cannabinoids and high terpene content before a lot of those terps have maybe boiled off or uh, um, oxidized due to the atmosphere, or or when the maybe when the resin head gets old enough, the the waxy coating breaks open and then it starts oxidizing or you know i'm not really positive 100 percent all the processes that are occurring i think it's probably several things uh heat light temperature exposure handling all can have an effect on what how your trichomes develop and finish and how well they per are preserved once you extract them hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. It's definitely layered more variables to it than you would necessarily think just on the surface, you know? Exactly. But we know there are that many variables because we've seen how different plants can come out quality-wise from different grows. It's like some one person can grow this strain and it's incredible and the next person grows this strain and it's just never really very good. Yeah. <laughs> and that's just due to process more than it is genetics because I mean, that was kind of my general, when I was hunting for cuts, you know, trying to preserve all the old stuff. My main goal wasn't to like find the best bag of weed. My goal was to find a bag of weed that had a really unique smell. Because I knew that even if it was poorly grown, but it still had a unique smell, that's so a clone I want. That's a clone I want because what's that thing gonna be like when you actually give it a good grow room? Um, a plant that's like really well grown and not that impressive from like a smell doesn't have any unique smell but it's really well grown i don't need that clone there's no more potential left in it someone's already milked nine tenths of the potential out of it and i don't and it's still not that impressive to me what i want is something that's a four out of ten on someone expressing its potential but is still like well what is that yeah just something different at least exactly and it's like well what would that be like if it was actually not beat up and fucked up yeah if it was optimized exactly or maybe you know there's just a little hint of, of something different in there but the weed just looks like shit every time yeah. you see it you know so it's not people don't really keep growing it but maybe you take that you make a hybrid with it you just bring you know that flavor over ideally and turn it into something that actually is viable you know? i think that's like a perfect example why like og didn't stick around is because like it when it cures out or it's poorly grown it smells like pencil shavings you know it's just like a shitty fucking pencil shaving hayish just like sour d too right they kind of fell out of favor because a lot of shitty growers got a hold of these clones and then uh they started producing 
mediocre quality product of it. And then it's just like people are like, I don't really like OG now because they've never seen it really grown to that highest potential that like Josh and all the little four light guys, him, the kill drama guy, like all the original OG growers, Ken, were all focusing on like trying to get the highest quality from the product because they were getting paid enough for their weed to care. It's like a really good batch would be 4,800, but a really phenomenal batch is like six grand or, you know, it's like you're, you're immediately seeing a result and they were incentivized to continue to uh, perfect or maybe not perfect, but optimize every their cultivation. Yeah, every single round, optimize the cultivation for a higher quality product or more desirable bubble product to the customer. I mean, it's just a totally different ball game if you know if you know that you know the potential payoff is based on the performance of that particular round, rather than knowing what the market value is going to be, and all you got to do is grow it to a certain standard market standard, which really mm -hmm. isn't that high anymore, and then you're going to sell it for market value. I, I wish there was a way we could bring that type of incentive back. You know what I mean? Yeah. But the average consumer is just you know. Probably, I would say willing but uneducated to pay the extra. Or, you know? or unexperienced. They just haven't tried enough really well-grown herb to really realize I won't smoke this commercial purple shit from a warehouse in downtown LA. Just not gonna smoke it. It's been poorly, it, it's, it's a common flavor. It's, it's mediocrely grown with, with commercial everything. It's probably been mishandled post harvest. And that's why it's a thousand bucks a pound. <laughs> What's the, uh, how long you flower this for? This thing goes about 11 weeks. I get like a guava -y tone from it also. Like, you know how guavas kind of have that putridness to them? Okay, I can see that. The, um, that, that cheesiness is kind of like a fruity putrid type of it's pap strong. papaya ish too but not like the part of the papaya that's sweet but like that pukey part that people a lot of people don't like for me this one is just so thick that one flavor that i'm having a hard time distinguishing anything else in there hit the joint i think you'll taste the guava that i'm talking about okay yeah yeah that's a little it's definitely sharper yeah, yeah. It's nice high too. It's like clear, energetic, you know? Totally. Yeah, almost like a guava or like a pomegranate, something like a little bit more. Uh, it's not a yeah, sweet fruit. A more putrid, yeah. Yeah. It's not a sweet fruit. It's some sort of uh, um, just a unique flavor. To me, it's guava y. But I could see pomegranate too because pomegranates aren't sweet. They're not. They're not candied at all. The jar itself has a sweeter smell than when you crack a nug too. For sure. I almost get like a guava spray paint taste. Yeah. Like huffing guava spray paint <laughs> with a holding a piece of Limburger cheese like five feet away. <laughs> <laughs> How's that for a flavor description? Hey, that's what I'm known for. Fuck. 
good herb, man. It's unique. It's nice to be able to come up here and smoke a lot of shit that is just different, man. You know? Exactly. It's a, it's a treat anytime I get to try one thing that's, that's you know, different or new to me, you mm -hmm. know, but I, it's probably the fifth or sixth thing I've tried this week that's just like, whoa. You know, well, we did shit yesterday. It's like, you know. <laughs> re-energizes your endocannabinoid system. It re-energizes my, like, excitement and enthusiasm for the plant and just for weed in general, you know what mm -hmm. I mean? It's, uh, it's real easy to kind of forget. I mean, not for you. I know you've been obsessed your whole life, but I guess... If you don't have if something you're not doing constantly it. to like stimulate your interest, it, it becomes easy to just kind of you know fall into that typical consumer mindset, you know. Yeah. Oh, I like one thing, so I'll just keep buying that. And the th it's just if you really enjoy cannabis, you're doing yourself such a disservice to not find a place or somebody that or or yourself to hunt through unique genetics. Not just like what we make, but you know, guys like Bodie or some of CSI's more rare varieties or um, crickets and cicada, like just running through some of this old unique stuff. And sure, you're not gonna necessarily find like in any of these seeds, the next best fucking Skittles plant that you can make a billion dollars on uh, from any of these seeds. It's, it's These are old genetics and, it, and just like anything, it's like, Let's be honest, most humans aren't a fucking keeper either, right? So it's like, you know, what do we think? Plants are just some special thing that, oh, you're supposed to get a keeper one out of every three plants. I only, pop, I only about, pop five you know. seeds and I'm supposed to find the next best thing since sliced bread from it. It's like, no, if you're really doing that, you're going to have to go through populations. Just like if you want to breed and find anything that's really unique and special, it's not going to be in your first three seeds. You know, and to, to think that that's someone's doing good or bad breeding based off of three seeds is just completely an, an inaccurate and uneducated way of looking at genetics and breeding. It's just a shot in the dark unless you're, you know, doing a, a large enough number to really get a complete picture, you know. Exactly. And if you do a large enough number, then maybe you can make the determination, oh, this stuff sucks, right? But if you grow three seeds and you didn't find exactly what you were looking for, that doesn't really say anything at all. All that it really says is you didn't go through a large enough population to find out. Um, because you could have been just another three seeds away from finding the exact plant that you were looking for and just didn't know it. Um, and, and people are just so quick to make judgments about things that really they, ha they haven't even experienced enough of whatever they're talking about to even make a, a some sort of blanket determination about the quality of quantitative or anything about any strain. It's like if you're not popping at least 100 seeds of something, you're probably not really getting a large enough data set to make any conclusions other than a conclusion about what you did, not what, not how that is compared to anything else. Especially like you're saying, if you a lot of growers get stuck on growing their shit and only breeding their lines and shit for a long time. But if you try something else, you know what I'm saying, from another breeder or something like that. Yeah. You, it, the further you get from what you're used to, the more you might actually need 200 seeds because maybe you need to optimize your environment the second time around. You didn't exactly. really think all that through the first time around. You know? Exactly. You, you didn't get the advice from somebody who's worked with that for a while and can tell you, do this, do that. You know what I mean? I so, pop lots of seeds from other breeders, just hoping that I will get a good plant out of one or two packs of something. And when I'm like really excited and think that someone's doing some real work, I'll buy like a thousand dollars worth of their seeds and pop them all. And sometimes I'll find something cool and sometimes I find nothing.
and I don't say, oh, they suck at breeding. It's like, no, I just didn't get the right selection apparently. Uh, or, you know, in most cases I would like to, I mean, if I'm going to spend that much and put that much work into someone else's stuff, You're I typically like, something. I typically like to see some flowers of it before, before I yeah. make that choice, you know? So once I make that choice, cause I saw some flowers of it that I was impressed by, then I'll pop five or 10 packs or something. So you have proof that the potential is there. Theoretically, yeah. if they weren't lying about the weed that I got shown, which has happened as well, you know? So, you know, I've gotten shown weed called one thing and, um, and then I buy five packs of the seeds, grow them out and they all smell like haze. And it's like, well, that obviously wasn't what you showed me. So, um, you know, something can happen in between, but in general, that's, that's the general rule of thumb of how you would like to be presented a new variety. There's something to be said too for just, you know, trying new shit too to kind of expand your palate. You know what I mean? Like 100%. I said, if you're smoking the same shit all the time, you don't really necessarily have a complete picture of what you like, much less what's the best out there. Well, know? it's like the lemon peel. I didn't make the lemon peel, right? I popped those seeds and it was made by Tierra Rojo. And that was I-95 from Top Dog crossed with Lemon G. I wouldn't have necessarily made that cross because I have my own OG stuff I've worked, you know, but the, I popped those seeds and I popped, you know, I think maybe 10 or 15 of them the first time. And then I popped the other 30 I got maybe a year or two later after I realized how good the, the lemon peel was. And I only found one plant like that out of all 40 of those that was any good. And almost the majority of everything in that line was pretty hermy. You know, for whatever reason, Lemon G or the TKs, the I-95, who I, you know, because from the chem dog, doesn't really matter because the quality was there on the one that I did find. So it's like, if I popped two seeds up from that line and found two slightly hermy plants that were Lemon G-ish, but not really what I'm looking for, and then made the determination, this shit sucks, I shouldn't go through it. I wouldn't have a Lemon Peel clone. <laughs> and it's just, it, it it took make you know getting getting lucky to a certain degree finding the right combination in those seeds because like i said i popped every seed i had of it and i didn't find a, another lemon peel was that the only one that had that cleaner lemon g flavor that didn't have that bitterness to it yep yeah. exactly everything else was dirty that's, had the that's, airborne that's, G dirty sock shit to it. Yeah, that's yeah. the aspect of that one that seems more like one in a million chance, you know what I mean? And that was the advantage is that it took the best skunky notes from Chem and, uh, from JJ's Chem and uh, I-95 is Trey Chem Dog, I think, uh, crossed with OG. Um, and I think Money Mike made it, actually. So Money Mike kind of worked with JJ. And um, so it's basically, you know, Chem 4, Chem D, whatever JJ's thing is, cross with OG, then that cross with Lemon G. And like I said, the majority of all the stuff was either a dirty Chem Lemon that had all the foot sock, airborne G type smell, or it was like, a, we had this other one I call the Three Star, right? And it was like that. It's like a greasy Lemon G, dirty Lemon G smell. Super greasy resin, not sticky, not potent. Um, the buds kind of look nicer, but just didn't smoke nearly as good as the lemon peel, which was the one stuff. It looked nicer than lemon G buds though. Just didn't smoke nice. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And so that was just kind of, like I said, 
you go, if you pop go through two or three females of something, that doesn't mean that that was a bad pairing of plants. Like I said, I <laughs> I found the one plant that everybody universally really likes, the lemon peel. If you like lemon terps, and uh, there wasn't a single plant from that population that that I grew out that was the same as that one that I found, and I'd be disappointed if I didn't have that plant. So to me, that was one of the best breeding pairings ever, even though the majority of the plants were Hermy, including the lemon peel had a few balls on the seed plant, but it's been fine for clones since. There's other issues with it, the seed line as well that I'll get into at another date. Um, just the lemon peel line itself. Then the most of the other phenos were undesirable for a lot of reasons. A lot of lemon G phenos that flower forever and just were just, you, you know what Super lemon. stretchy. Yeah, you know what makes lemon G undesirable. A lot of phenos that were just undesirable for those reasons just smell like a Christmas wreath. Yeah. Not lemony at all, just that shit. And then, um, and then, uh, yeah, so it's like there was a lot of problems with that line, but it created one of my favorite plants. So to me, it was a great hybrid. I don't really care about the rest of the plants. Um, you know, if you're talking about a commercial variety to sell to people or whatever, maybe, but it, again, like I, I'm, I got given those seeds, but I would have been happy if I purchased them too. Yeah. Even with Hermes and ratio, even with most of it was shit, but there is that one gem in there that makes it all worth it. If That's I, what you're looking yeah, for. Yeah, and I have no idea if that, that lemon peel could ever be created with anything other than those two plants. So yeah, you might take two things that are actually on their own closer to that flavor profile, but you might not still be able to get them there. Exactly. Right? So it's like maybe it took the two plants that had all the fucked up other attributes to make the plant that I really like. And that's just one of those things. Like two ugly parents can make the most beautiful child that wins um, beauty patents. And they might've had nine ugly ones before that. hundred <laughs> percent. And it's just, that's just the reality of the situation. That doesn't mean that there's anything good or bad or this or that. Because at the end of the day, we're only looking for a very small group of traits that satisfy us as humans. This plant has millions of genes that affect all kinds of other things that we're not really selecting for or caring about that make it a good plant. And so just doing stuff like this, like taking an old Hawaiian sativa, crossing with Skittles, just because I was like, what's the furthest end of the spectrum? And when I do projects like that, I take one thing, reverse it and cross it to everything I have just to pop the shit and see who knows what comes out of it. Like the Skittles Irene that we had done, done some reviews on, both of those plants kind of suck to grow. One's really leafy and has these weird leaf trait deformities and will has some hermy progeny skittles small weak rooted plant branches not great <laughs> and also this is similar problems neither of them test very high potency wise so they both have bad traits and lo and behold most of the the individuals from that hybrid have most of those shitty traits it's like it's just breeding and you just never know but the one, the Irene Skittles number seven, is not a horrible plant. It's not great, but it's not horrible. And but it, the weed's great to smoke. Adam loves smoke. There's tons of people that love smoking that herb. So it's worth making, even if it has problems. And if all you want is perfect plants, you're gonna probably end up with 
a lot of mediocre weed. And if you want awesome weed, you're gonna probably have to deal with some mediocre plants. It's just the way it is. There's no perfect plant and there's no perfect breeder and the amount of genetic combinations are so vast that with the pace of today's market and the lack of financial assistance from like government or even making enough money to have a really sophisticated breeding program with PhDs doing all your genomic testing and breeding, it's mostly shot in the darks looking for something special. And at the end of the day, that's what's produced everything that we enjoy and love to smoke is that not labs, not doing all that stuff. Everything that we actually like was just someone taking like a shot in the dark um, and popping some seeds. It's like you said too, like we use an old shit too. It's like eventually the old becomes new again. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Well, especially if you can modernize it. Like I couldn't sell this as the original clone that I popped from the seed, but after two generations of work, it's a variety that uh, every grower that I know thinks it's awesome. It's really stoked to see it. So, and, and I myself love seeing it. And so I, you know, I wish the consumer would get more opportunities to experience this and not be so influenced maybe by uh, popularity contest on Instagram. I think it's just like we keep saying too, like just the business model of legal weed in most states just doesn't make it viable to be competitive growing things that take longer than eight weeks to flower. Exactly. And that just puts, a, that, that takes the whole spectrum and narrows it down to this tiny little fraction and then that's just what we get. You know? Well, and then everybody markets for that because that's what all the businesses want to grow. Not they because- tell you that's what you should want. That's right. You know, and that's, that's probably, yeah, I mean, it's just a shame that people, like you said, the average consumer doesn't get to try varieties like this. Exactly. Ever. And I feel like you st it's only been that way for the last five or ten years. But at the start of Legal Weed, there was a lot of guys who had been growing these unique varieties for a long time that just transitioned into selling their, their packs to shops and stuff. Mm -hmm. And it was really cool, like in the start of medical, you could go into a shop and there would be 40 flavors on the shelf and there would be... 10 of those that were longer flowering strains and there was just so much more variety you had access to so much more and they were all well grown generally speaking right someone took the time to make the super silver haze proper it wasn't rushed in a greenhouse just so they could have a sativa on their menu yeah like it is today like the only sativas you'll really see in california's market are greenhouse grown for the most part most most indoor grows aren't going to go through the trouble of flowering for 11 or 12 weeks and increase their cost of goods by 50 percent well it's like you said too like back then when when shops were paying based on quality and if you could grow the very top quality you would be paid accordingly that meant a little something a little different when a reputable shop had a top shelf you know what i mean you were pretty much guaranteed Back then, you know, that, that anything that, you know, cost, back then, I mean, some of this shit was 50, 60 bucks an eighth in the shops, you know, but it mm -hmm. was, it was the best weed that you could buy at the time, Yeah, you know, and I just don't think that people have that type of, that type of access anymore. It's so limited with what we, what the average consumer has mm -hmm. available to them and it just sucks, you know? Well, and like we've talked about, the majority of the consumer population is younger, 18 to 28. Most people, by the time they're 30, kind of grow out of it let's put it that way and or at least don't have a you know between kids and every all the other responsibilities it's just not realistic to be a cannabis connoisseur 
um, during those years or a heavy consumer during those years. So um, you just have a lot of people that just are, it's a young crowd and today's young crowd is more susceptible to advertising rather than experience in my opinion. Maybe I'm wrong, but it seems that you know media is the is more important to the younger generations than the experience which i think was more important to the prior generations well like when we were kids with like clothes and shit like labels weren't as important as they are now like now all these kids are buying designer shit that don't give a fuck about this well we didn't want to be influenced back then no being a poser was yeah. frowned upon and so you didn't really want to copy anybody's shit. You just wanted to kind of find something you liked and then be you. Because if be not, cool to be unique. Yeah, it, yeah. If you weren't that, then you risk being called a poser, and then you don't want to be called a poser because then then you're just like you're copying this guy's style. I think half the problem today is that the current generation of kids doesn't have a word for poser. Like every generation of us, we had something that we called people who were well. The new poser is something they weren't. The, well, so. Our generation, it was poser, which is you're copying someone, be unique, right? Or just do your own thing. Just change it up enough so it's, it's you, not someone else. Um, now it's hater instead of poser. And that's basically the, the opposite. Stop pointing out the shit that we like. Start, stop pointing out what's wrong with the shit that we like, essentially. You don't you don't copy us. Like. Yeah, you, yeah, exactly. You don't copy us, so you're not cool. You're a hater. It's like, okay. It's but you're the one out on that. That's... But you're the one smoking bammer, not me. Well, so. and I mean now that that whole thing if you look at it from the we perspective, that's turned into packaging. Like people Correct. buy people buy the logo on the packaging more Mylars. than they fuck about what's in there. Exactly. Know? They loved to. It used to be also cool to like. There was no packaging really back in the day, so the only sale was the weed. Like the packaging was the weed back in the day, because it came in a clear jar yeah. or clear plastic bag. So it didn't even have a strain name written on the bag. The guy tells you it, but you didn't really care because the only thing that really mattered, which was the whole marketing, the entire marketing was oh, smells good. Give it to me. That was literally all it took, right? That was all anybody really cared to do, right? It could even look really good because every by the time like you and I were smoking in the market, there was Beaster and it would look really good. But if you open the bag, it smells like hey, yeah, fuck this thing. But then you you know you smell some weed. Ooh, smell this smells good. Okay, here's your money. Thank you. <laughs> I'll be moving on my way and. Now it's like you said, it's the opposite. They just look at the bag and assume that it smells good. Well, there, it, the other thing that's changed is somewhere along the line, it be, became cool to be the guy who spent the most on something. Like this is a, I spent 90 on this gram of hash. Well, this is a $120 yeah. gram of hash. Well, I got custody for $200 a gram with this shit. <laughs> remember the shit that they were doing out there in Hopland for a while with those fucking $200 grams? I do remember coming back from, uh, you know, cause you guys had like a little bit of experience with bubble and melt and stuff, but I think when you guys met me, I kind of really opened up a lot of your guys' experience because this is pre-freeze yeah. dry or pre, you know, this was, it was hard to find good hash, especially from multiple strains. And, uh, you know, Matt Rise was making some, right? And Jordan and I stopped back from Humboldt one time at that spot 
and he picked up a gram of like I don't remember what it was. It was it, or he or he picked up like five grams, right? And we were smoking some of my hash coming down, and he spent I don't know 100, 150, whatever, however expensive it was. And uh, it was labeled 73 micron and stuff, but it just didn't melt at all. I mean, it looked like chalk. And that was where the no melt Nebraska came from. I was like, dude, I was like, Jordan, you just got no melt Nebraska, dude. Like, you just bought five, you just spent five hundred dollars on fucking Nebraska dirt. Like, sorry, here's some amnesia haze, uh, dry sift, smoke that. Well, I think that was a situation where he was running their material, so you know, could could have been the material. The stuff that I got from him directly around that time period was the best hash I had smoked and probably mm. until I met you. Right. Definitely my 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 bar for what constituted like a true full yeah. belt. Could you kind of open my eyes to a lot of that yeah. shit, especially with like the, you know, even dry sift that I was seeing mm. melt more than full melt that right. I had gotten previously. Back then like when I first got in, the, my first experiences with hash were like right when I got my medical card when I was 18, just going into dispensaries and buying random shit throwing five or six things on a bowl, setting up the camera, take it like that. Those yeah. were, we used to call them the widow makers. Mm -hmm. Totally. <laughs> pack a bowl, put like five different things on it, and then we'll just see how it all melts at once. Pretty you know much what, I mean? what it was. But yeah, as far as, as just like the top quality hash, like what constitutes a, a true full melt, that definitely changed right around that time for sure. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, it, you know, there was, uh, you know, they're all, all those guys have, have put out good hash, right? I'm just of the belief that like you shouldn't put out some bammer and so call it, and, well, and call it something, it, charge a hundred dollars for some Nebraska. It's just, it's, that's worth 20 bucks, not a hundred. <laughs> I feel like that's died down a little bit. There was, there was a heyday for kind of full melt marketing for a while, you know, yeah, oh, yeah. maybe like eight or 10 years ago where it, 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 you know, before even like BHO really took off, it was like crazy marketing mm -hmm. of full melt. And it was just like, oh, this is from a good brand and it's 73, okay, well now it's 120 bucks at a shop. It didn't even really matter how well mm -hmm. it melted, you know? Yeah, I mean, for years I had full melt hash and couldn't sell it for more than like 15 or $20 a gram. <laughs> That's crazy. Cause no one even knew how to smoke it. It was, you put it on a screen, you know, there was no dab buckets yet or anything like that. That was, this is like the titanium swing days. You know, the one, the first, and now I'm thinking about all these crazy different, you know, weed dab contraptions that have come out over the years. The first one, obviously like the first way I ever tried to smoke hash was just off a hot knife, you mm -hmm. know? Yeah, But the sure. first one that I remember really enjoying was I had a glass on glass bubbler with this little, it was like a bowl that had three holes in it. Yeah, And you would heat up the hot wand and just put a little piece of hash in there and just smash mm -hmm. it like that. And you could feather it to where you're, right. you know, there's no flame, you're just kind of melting it mm -hmm. as you go. And all of a sudden I was like, okay, well these are the best tasting rips of anything weed related I've ever fucking had. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And that's what opened my eyes to pretty much everything. That's, mm -hmm. that's really the first little contraption I had and the first hash I remember smoking that kind of ignited that like, all right, now I got to search for the best shit. Yeah. Know? Yeah. The, the hash like contraptions that I remember for smoking hash was the thing that looks like a meth bowl, right? It'd just be a, a glass, ball with a hole in the side of it that you could put the hash oil in mm -hmm. and uh then they had a neck on it and that went into your bong so there was that there was the titanium swings 
with the, the with, the, with the trump with the trumpet yeah. yeah and then there was what you were just talking about uh the um I think mine the, was the like bubbler with the little like dish yeah. with the holes around it and you take a glass rod and hit the and you could you could put flour in there and do mm -hmm. that too but most people would put hash in there and just smear it around and burn it and uh trying to think if there's any other and then the the original way was a stainless steel screen inside of like a pipe like this and then you just feather your lighter or a little matchstick or a piece of wood or some or a little toothpick and feather that over the hash and let it melt that was always kind of the funnest way to smoke it. When you're smoking like oh, a yeah. nice melt, that's you got the front row seat when you're sitting here ripping it. You know what I mean? That was the only downside of the smasher. I'm like, I, I look like it melted pretty good. Usually sure. I would smoke it on a bowl first just to make sure it melted really nice because that thing was kind of a bitch to clean mm -hmm. if you kept putting shit in there that didn't. Well, melt. that was why the Jermichael was so popular yeah. for us at least, right? Because it was like we'd all sit sit around. Dude, you'd smear out a big patty, and we'd all watch it melt. Dude, look at that! Look at that melt! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you could do the whole. I like being able to feather the screen over. Pull it off. The you know, and it had that was back in the days when it had the. It wasn't flat. It had the little part that. So yeah. If it was a little too lower, you needed to just kind of burn that last little bit at the end. You'd actually make contact with it. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, you could just hover it there perfectly and get like nice, so, tasty rips that lasted forever. It's crazy how. how and you get to watch far, it melt. Yeah. yeah, it's crazy how far all the all the fucking gear has come since then, and how efficient people have come with getting every little ounce out of their deck. I still kind of like a Jermichael of some uh, full melt hash, though. It's still pretty fucking awesome. I think we've optimized the smoking part of it as mm. far as we need to go now. Yeah, like I feel the same way about it as I feel about cell phones. Like mm. I was good with my iPhone like 10 or 11 or whatever that was. For sure. They keep telling me the camera's better, I guess maybe it is. But, but not for what you're doing. But yeah. for all the other shit, and I'm like, this is the same fucking phone. This shit's good enough. For smoking, I, I can't imagine what kind of apparatus we would need to take a dab that's more efficient than what we can take now. You know? So. I think all that's left to do is improve the quality of the plant, improve the quality of, of extracts. Yeah, it's less touch and, and uh, just trying to preserve the plant as much as possible. Yeah. That at the end of the day is most of the incremental improvements that we are and have been making are just in preserving things better and better and better. The plant does all the work, we just have to get better at, at handling it. And without that preservation, things like this wouldn't be possible. Yeah, exactly. It, it takes both to, to do it. So, Well, I think that probably does it for this one, guys. Great sesh. Really, really enjoyed this stuff right here. I think you guys could see we kind of got going on that one. Definitely like a <laughs> nice, clear, heady buzz. Like this is, this is good wake and bake weed right here. Good Go snowboarding afterwards. Day. Absolutely. We got more of these to, to film, so we got to get out of here. See you on the next one.